Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. That was awesome. Come on. Share Jesus this Christmas. Really? Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you? Good. It's good to see you guys again. And I honestly, I love being able to say Merry Christmas. It's easily uh, my favorite greeting. I get to say it for like a month. Because after Christmas, if you say it to people, they just think you're weird. Like it's, we're past that. So I'm so glad to be able to say, I walked in and people say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And it just, it just brings me joy to be able to do that. I hope that this holiday season is finding you a little happier maybe than last year, uh, that you're looking forward to celebrations filled with family and, and things and people that you love the most. I, uh, I love this season. I love Christmas. It's, I love the music. I love the stories. I love the lights. I love seeing Christmas trees everywhere. I like when I walk in and this thing is just right there. I'm like, I had to come up and touch it because I thought it was real. It's not, but it looks really real. I guess you don't put a real tree in a place where there's like musical instruments and stuff, because if it falls over, that's a disaster, and we don't want that at Christmas. We have that happen to us anyway at Christmas, right? Plenty of disasters happen. I love wrapping presents. I love watching movies. I love eating food that isn't good for me, because it's allowed at Christmas time. I do it all year long, but at Christmas, I feel less guilty about it, I think, you know? Um, and I love making memories. Uh, there's a song from the movie Home Alone that talks about, um, somewhere in my memory lies the joy of Christmas, and it says, all the gingerbread feelings. And I kind of feel like it's kind of got, you don't have to like gingerbread to have a gingerbread feeling. It's that feeling of, of warmth, of happiness, of joy, of a kind of a glow that comes this time of season. And I, I honestly, I wish I felt that all year long. I wish I could feel this Christmassy thing in June or in the middle of March. But it's weird because the things that we love most, the things that we think about the most during this time of the year, it's like we pull them out of a box sometime in November and then we put them all back in a box and put them away come January 1st, which is weird to me. Not because I'm a Christmas freak. I mean, pe I, people that I work with know that I love Christmas. They're like, oh, are you the guy who has a house like this? I'm like, actually, my house does not have a lot of Christmas decorations. Um, we don't have a lot of Christmas lights on the outside of it. They would, but I married a woman who has kept me in check wisely and has said, no, we're not going to be those people. Um, but it's kind of weird because... Christmas is about so much more than just a holiday, you know? It's not a feeling or an emotion or just a wonderful time of the year filled with nostalgia and warm fuzzies and ugly sweaters. Christmas is one of the greatest, most pivotal moments that has ever happened in the history of the world. It sits on the timeline of history like, this, like a compelling diamond. It attracts the cynic. It calls the sinner and it causes each of us to look at the baby hay in the manger and ask some of life's most difficult questions. Why does the world pause each December to celebrate this day? Why is the one time of year when songs about his birth, some of them over a thousand years old, fill the airwaves, sung by choirs and coffee shop singers? Why do we look for miniature versions of cows and donkeys and stables it's something most of us have very little experience with in real life, and we put them in our houses, right? It's because this day, this, this Christmas day, is a day like no other. When we remove the trappings and the festivities surrounding it and strip it to its very essence, we can see why the birth of Jesus is one of the most important moments in human history. If we want to get to the start of the story, though, we have to start at the beginning. Anyone know how to start the story of Christmas? 
I learned it this way when I was little. My mom was the choir director, and um, I was very good at enunciating when I was little. I kind of still have that ability. I speak quickly, so I, my mom would always say, slow down, but here's how it goes. And when I was little, there was only one version of the Bible that was allowed, because I'm 100 years old, and we, we did the way that Jesus wrote it, King James Version, right? Uh, it's the way Linus shares it in, in a Charlie Brown Christmas. And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, when I was little, I was like, what does espoused mean? And what does it mean being great with children? Because I know people who are great with children. My mom's like, it's not, doesn't mean you're good with kids. It means you're great with kids. I'm like, what does this mean, mom? She goes, she was pregnant. Oh, oh, okay, now I understand. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's how the story starts, right? I mean, that's where we kick it off every holiday. And that's what I struggle with every year, is that the story of Christmas does not start there. We always end up there. That's kind of where everyone talks about it, but that's not where it begins. It's not a baby and a manger and angels. It's not even when Gabriel shows up to Mary and tells her that God is going to do the impossible. And she says, may it be to me as God has said. You see, truly understand why this holiday is so amazing, why this singular day is so filled with wonder and magnificence and awesomeness, we have to go back to the start, the start of the start. And by the start, I mean the very beginning, the very beginning of everything. When God looks out at the vast expanse of nothingness and declares, let there be light. And there was light. And then he got busy, right? He just lets his creativity fly. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the earth, the planets, water, mountains, air, clouds, zebras, monkeys, whales, sharks, reindeer, Christmas, <laughs> and penguins, and snow, and rain, and lightning, and anything that you can think of. He, he did it. I like to create. I, li I love being a creative person. I like to write. I like to draw. I like to do all these things. But my greatest moments of creativity are nothing compared to what happened over those moments when God looked at all that he had made and declares it to be good. It is good, he thinks. And good, when God says good, it means good. He looks at ants and grasshoppers and worms and jellyfish and goes, I like these but it's not enough, is it? God saves his greatest creation for the very last thing. He takes a lump of dirt, a bit of clay, and fashions something unique and wonderful and beautiful. He creates us. He creates us, my friends. When he wants to reach the zenith, all that is good in his creativity, he made a human being the only thing in all of creation that bears that unique stamp that says, made in his image. Right. Wow. 
We were created to love Him, to know Him, to walk with Him and laugh with Him and cry with Him. We were fashioned in His image so that we would be able to think, to love, to feel, to share in relationship and understand what it means to feel so deeply cared for, to be so wanted and desired that our hearts would be full, full of Him, full of His goodness, and and then being able to share all of that with the rest of humanity that would follow Adam and Eve. That was the plan. God created us to be able to, to think for ourselves, to make decisions, to choose what we would do and would not do. And then that wonderful, terrible gift, He gave us the ability to do the unthinkable He gave us each the ability to reject Him, to walk away from that relationship, to walk away from the very thing that we were created for, to step out of fellowship and the love and the care and the understanding that we were created to have with our Creator. That's that's what it was for. That was the plan. The hard thing is, and we look at the beginning of time, that's exactly what we did. Okay. Maybe not you and me. I mean, we were not the ones there that took the bite of the apple, right? We didn't uh, take a bite and then change the course of history. But the effects of that choice, the thing that Adam and Eve did so many years ago, sets in motion everything that has followed since. And in fact, this is where Christmas actually begins. You see, in the moment when Adam and Eve rejected God for their own vanity, their own wisdom, out of their own desire to be like the Creator, well, that's the moment when Christmas starts. Because you see, when Adam and Eve walk away from God, they reject everything He brings. We have to understand that. Adam and Eve, by rejecting God, rejected everything that He created to give to us to be part of when we have that fellowship with Him. This relationship with our Creator is so unique and special. Because there are things that we can only experience in this world, truly understand and be part of from knowing Him, from walking in fellowship with Him. Things like um, joy, grace, mercy, love, patience, kindness, peace. You see, when our relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be, we struggle to find these things, right? We look for joy in our circumstances. We look for satisfaction in our stuff. We keep ourselves busy so we don't have to think of all the things that we're unhappy about. We look for grace because we know we don't deserve it, and we struggle to show mercy to those who have hurt us. We look for love, as someone once sang, in all the wrong places and wonder why we feel so empty inside. You see, God created us so we would find that in Him and Him alone. And if we find it in Him, well, then we would be able to live it out in our world and then share with each other. That's what we were created for. That was the, that was the plan at the very beginning of time. We love Him. He loves us back in return. We learn from Him. We grow from Him. And then all of us share that with each other. And the world would be incredibly awesome. So we look around and wonder why there's not a lot of joy, grace, peace in our hearts, it's actually not so difficult to understand. It's because we're missing something. We're missing the most important part. And God knew this. 
God, uh, he knew that this is not how things are supposed to be, right? Um, he wasn't surprised, like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do next. Man, they did the, I gave them a choice and they chose the bad thing. Well, sayonara. No, he knew, even as he had to punish Adam and Eve for this choice, uh, he made a promise. And this is what I love. It, it's, it's, a, it's a huge promise. It's one of the greatest promises that has ever been made. I try not to promise things to my kids because I inevitably break the promise. I promise you we'll go to the pool this week. I said to my son when it was like 100 degrees two weeks ago, right? Guess what? We didn't go to the pool. I'm so sorry, August. He's like, I, I'm holding you to that. You just said that right now. I'm not going today. It's going to be 50 degrees. It's too cold. I make a promise. Oh, I promise you we're going to have pancakes for breakfast. I don't want to make pancakes today. <laughs> See, as a parent, I try to promise something, and I don't always follow through. But when God makes a promise, 100% guaranteed he's going to see it through. I love that. The very day that sin and death enter the world, the day that joy and peace hide their faces, God promises that a Savior, a Messiah, a chosen one will come. He promises that he will send one who will break the chains of sin and death and literally crush the head of the enemy. I love that. The only problem was God didn't say when that was going to happen. <laughs> he didn't say how, and he didn't set a timetable. He just said, I'm going to send someone someday. Someday. What? When is that going to be? Well, that's the entirety of the Old Testament. If you take the Old Testament and look at it, it's literally the question that they all ask. Hey, God, when's it going to happen? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Ruth, David, and most of the prophets. The question is woven to the entire narrative of kingdoms and battles and psalms and queens and priests and temples. When is the question? When will God restore what is broken? When can we find joy? Where is our peace? And God only answers over and over again, someday. He gives big hints along the way. I like that about God. He's all like, someday, and I'll talk to you later. He's like, someday, by the way, here's how it might happen. After that initial promise in Genesis, he declares that the Savior will come from the line of King David. He talks about the way the Savior will come. God even tells the prophet Micah exactly where the Savior will be born. Which is why it's so weird 400 years later when everyone's like, I wonder where the Savior's going to be born. When God talks to the prophet Isaiah, though, oh, he really helps us understand exactly what the promised one, this Savior, will come to do pretty spectacular piece of scripture actually for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness for that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Whoa, I got goosebumps just reading that. You may have heard this as a song, right? Handel included in the Messiah. For unto us a child is born. Played that for my Sunday. He's like, 
It kind of doesn't have very original lyrics, Dad. I'm like, no, it has the best lyrics. God wrote these lyrics, right? The power of its words are not lost on us today. The promised one, the one that God said would come, would be our wonderful counselor. He will be our mighty God and everlasting Father. I like that. I like a Savior who is a wonderful counselor. I mean, that's awesome. Someone whose wisdom and goodness is above reproach and wants the very best for us? Yes, please. Thank you. Sign me up. A mighty God and everlasting Father? Yes. I want the Savior to be strong and powerful and to know that we have a loving Father whose love is eternal, everlasting? Yes, that's awesome. But I think the last title given to the Savior was given on purpose. Maybe the reason God reminds us the Savior is going to be the Prince of Peace is because, as the old carol says, He knows our need and to our weakness He is no stranger. God knows exactly where our hearts and minds go and what we need most. Peace. But peace is not the absence of fighting. The word peace does not mean no war in spite of what you may have seen over many, many years of peace rallies and, you know, peace signs. Originally, when God promised a prince of peace, he didn't mean someone who would make everyone get along and sing happy songs around a campfire with lots of hugging and hand-holding, Kumbaya, my Lord, we're all friends. The word is actually shalom, a Hebrew word with incredibly profound meaning. So when God promises a prince of shalom, he's actually telling us that the Savior, the one who's going to come, will bring wholeness, completeness, and tranquility. I don't know about you, but I could use a lot more of those things in my life. I could use some tranquility. Calmness, quiet, moments of just being with the people I love most. I could truly use a better understanding of what it means to be whole. And discovering completeness because I, while I may clean up pretty good for Sunday morning, I have been broken and messed up. And someone who can put me back together again, I desperately need that. Maybe this is where you are at here just 13 days before Christmas. I can't sleep at night. I have anxious thoughts. My life feels disoriented. My mind is messy I don't have any moments of quiet. My family is stressed. Oh, the world's not doing so hot either. I worry about pandemics. I worry about politics. I worry about inflation. I worry about gas prices. I got a bad report from the doctor. My kids are struggling. I'm struggling. I could go on and on because this is reality. This is the world we live in thanks to that fateful day thousands of years ago when humanity traded a relationship with God for a quick snack. Seems like a bad trade. God knew this, though. God knew where we would be in this spot right here now today in the year 2021, which is why Christmas does not start at the manger or with an angel, but with him saying to us, I will not let it stay this way forever. I promise you, I will give you a way to get back to me, to get back to the way it is supposed to be. God knew what would happen. He knew that you and I and anyone watching online, that we would end up with burdens we were never meant to carry, with heartbreaks and and hurts and with more brokenness in our lives and our worlds as the years went by. I wish I could say it gets better, but it doesn't. It gets harder and worse and messier. 
I always thought the older I got, the easier my life would be. Guess what? That was not true. I guess when you get toward the end, maybe it's a little easier because you're like, yeah, I don't care anymore. <laughs> my grandma was 96 and a half years old when she died, and she cared very much. She's just like, meh, yeah, people suck. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're being real today, folks. She would never have said that. I said that. She would actually be like, she's actually saying to me right now from heaven, I am so ashamed of you saying that word in church, Dwayne. But people are awful, and they don't get better, and they're harder to love. Even the people you love most, they're hard to love sometimes. It doesn't get any easier, which is why God made this promise. I know it's going to be hard. I know people are going to, it, but it's okay. That's what I'm coming for. It took longer than people expected. I mean, they started looking for it immediately. Adam and Eve, I'm sure, like, okay, when's the Savior coming? Because the world outside of the garden, and then their kids, is Savior coming? Savior, it, it never happened. It took forever. His people have been looking and waiting and hoping for thousands of years, but finally there comes a moment in time when God stops saying someday. He looks across heaven, finds the angel Gabriel and says, okay, go now. And the angel speeds off to find a girl named Mary and tell her the impossible was about to become possible, and everything God had promised was going to happen. The Bible says it this way, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Hey, didn't we hear that the Savior was going to come from the line of David? Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman! The Lord is with you! Confused and disturbed, which is putting it mildly. If an angel shut up in my house and said, Greetings, favored man! The Lord is with you! I'd be like, And the screams would start, and everyone would be like, What is happening right now? But no, Mary's just like confused and disturbed. I mean, we have this picture of Mary's like, hmm, what is happening? <laughs> She's freaking out. What is my every angel's like, don't be afraid, right? All of our angel pictures are like so handsome, like handsome young men. Some of the descriptions of the angels in the Bible are freaky. And if some of those showed up in your house, you'd be like, uh, I don't know what's happening right now. End of days, right? But it's like God's going, hey, I'm here. He shows up and he says, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Out of all the people in the world, this young woman has found favor with God. That's like Noah favor. Remember, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because of that, Noah was saved. That's that same word. That's huge. Noah kept humanity going. Mary is going to be the part that saves humanity because God has found favor in her. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's like, okay, great. Good thing about the reigning, good thing about the king, blah, blah. How the heck is that going to happen? I've... I've never had sex. I'm a virgin. And the angel's like, let me explain this to you. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. This makes everything we love about Christmas mean so much more. At least it does to me. The fact that God promised something at the beginning of time, something that would bring us back into this relationship with him to help us live the life he actually created us to live, it makes the carols and the tree and the traditions mean so much more. Because Christmas, at its very core, is about God loving us so much that he did everything he could do, everything he could do to be in a relationship with us. We ran and ran and ran for thousands of years, and he kept coming after us saying, I will not let you go. You're mine. I created you, and I'm going to get you back. Christmas is what that's all about. It's that moment when God gives up his place in heaven to make sure that you could get your place there. Imagine that. How amazing that is. And then there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Christ the Lord. That's the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor. That's the Prince of Peace, the one who brings completeness and wholeness and fixes what was broken. This is why when the angels finally get to do what they've been waiting for thousands of years to do, to announce this moment, they fill the night sky with a sound that we cannot even comprehend the glory and the majesty and the beauty of it. At this moment, I, whenever I read this story, at this moment I am so jealous of those shepherds on that hill that night. Because we read this and it reads real good. Can you imagine seeing it? You're there in the quiet, hanging out with some sheep. You don't smell good. You don't look good. Your back hurts. No one likes you. That's why you're out there in the fields. Keep watch over their flocks by night. You don't own the flocks. You're keeping care for someone else. You don't have any money. You're like, you're not the cool people. You're not the one that the announcement should come to, but that's where you are. And you're out there having a nice quiet night. And suddenly this angel shows up, which is scary. Again, that's why the angel says, fear not because they're fearing big time. And like, oh, great, an angel came. Cool, Christ the Lord, that's great. Awesome. But then, just as you think it's about to be over, a multitude of the heavenly host. Okay, you know how big that is? Based on what we can understand about how the Bible describes the word multitude and heavenly host, that's practically all of heaven, all the angels just jumped out of heaven at that moment and showed up in the sky. We're talking millions. And you're scared as heck because you don't know what these things are going to do. But then they start singing 
and your face just lights up and your heart fills with joy and you feel something that no one in humanity has felt for thousands and thousands of years because you suddenly realize you have hope, you have joy, you have peace. Everything you've been promised is about to come to reality. And that's why the angels sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Wow. Glory to God in the highest. He gets the glory. Woo. It all goes to him, which I love. But what do we get? What do we get in this moment? What is ours now that the Savior is born? Well, we get shalom. We get peace in our hearts, our minds, our homes, our lives. And that peace comes from him fixing what is broken and us allowing him to complete us, to bring us wholeness. Christmas is God bringing us back to him. In these last two weeks before Christmas, my prayer for us as a church is that we would see that. My prayer is that journey will be filled with people who know this promise and see who he is and the difference he makes in our lives and in the lives of the people we love and the people in our community and in our city who aren't here, who need to hear this message, who need to know this amazing thing that happened was not just a cute story that looks good on a Christmas card, it looks cute on a wrapping paper, makes a great special. No, it's the momentous moment of history when God says, you were mine, I'm going to get you back. Praise be to me, but guess what? Here's what you get out of it. That's awesome. That's what Jesus promised to us. You know, you may not know this. Surprise. The baby in the manger grows up. If you're new to church, this may come as a complete shock to you. There's a whole section of the Bible all about him. He grows up to be the son of God. They call him that. They call him the Messiah, the chosen one. That's what Christ actually means. Is Jesus Christ means Christ the Messiah, Christ the chosen one, the fulfillment of all that has come before. He is the one. And he grows up and he talks to people. He walks with people. He laughs with people. He cries with them. He does amazing things. The night before his worst moment, his darkest night, before he's crucified on the cross and dies for us, a choice that he makes to fulfill this prophecy that was made thousands of years ago when God said, I will send someone who will crush the enemy's heat. That's what Jesus does on the cross. He's going to crush that. But that night before, he's not thinking about himself. He actually spends the night talking to his followers, his disciples, and he talks to them. And by talking to them, he talks to us today. And here's what he said. I am leaving you with a gift peace. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. His gift to us this Christmas is peace of mind, peace of heart, shalom in your heart and in your head. He makes sure that we realize this gift is something pretty incredible. To misquote Dr. Seuss, it's not something you can buy in a store. Perhaps, like the Grinch, it's just a bit more. Jesus goes on to say it this way. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. 
Why is Jesus the one who wants this for us? Why is Jesus the only one who can give this to us? Because from the beginning of time, he was promised to be that one. He is the prince of peace. And my prayer is that we embrace everything that that means these next two weeks. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely, not partially, not just a little bit, but completely to overflowing with joy and peace, that shalom, because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, to quote Linus, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Right? The God of, the source of hope, who will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is what we need to do over these next two weeks. Wherever you're at, wherever you've been, wherever your head is at today, wherever your heart space is, the world has not gotten any better. We know that. It's not going to get any better. But in spite of everything we face, the Prince of Peace has come. He is standing here still today saying to you, let me be that peace to you. Will you stand with me? I would love to pray for our church, pray for us, pray for your families, that over these next two weeks, you will see him in such new ways, that when you hear the story, you will get goosebumps again to realize this is more than just a story. It's the most pivotal transformational moment in the world that has ever happened. And it happened because God loves you, you that much. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Prince of Peace, we need peace. We need your sense of wholeness and completeness in our lives. May we feel that rest, that tranquility that comes from knowing that in spite of everything we face, and God, we're going to face some messy things. Maybe we're not looking forward to the holiday because our relationships are sour. Maybe we're worried about our own finances and how to come through with a present. Maybe we're thinking of friends and family, even in Kentucky, God, who've been so wounded and are hurt. We wonder, where is peace? Where is it going to come from? And you say to us right now, I am peace. So God, fill our hearts, please. May this Christmas season be something more than just a celebration of great moments, great memories, traditions, and food. May we look at that baby in the manger. May we read the story again and be like the shepherds, like Mary, overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with a sense of, oh, God, you came here for me. God, you came here for us. May we as a church share this message so beautifully with our friends, our neighbors, with our city. Be our wonderful counselor, our everlasting father. But God, today we pray especially that you will be our Prince of Peace. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com 
and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.